today on Prairie Design Lab, working life in larger architectural firms. This is episode 41, one which we call Firms. Many students drawn to architecture school envision themselves working with or creating a small firm and having a personal impact designing unique structures. But the reality of architectural work now is increasingly different from that vision. More and more architects choose to work with larger firms and collaborate with diverse multi-skilled teams on long-term projects requiring years of planning, preparation, and financing. Today, we take a deep exploration of what it takes to do architecture on the firm scale. Prairie Design Lab is a podcast coming to you from the Faculty of Architecture at the University of Manitoba. In this podcast, we explore design influenced by prairie perspectives and by prairie education, and we celebrate people trained in architecture here. My name is Terry McLeod, your host, producer, and writer. And today with us are two graduates from the Faculty of Architecture at the U of M with deep experience in firms doing large-scale, long-term projects. Joining us from Toronto is Jonathan Hughes, the Chief Operating Officer of NOR. NOR is an 82-year-old employee-owned firm. Well, and Jonathan's not 82, but the firm <laughs> is 82. NOR is known for public buildings, secure facilities, heritage projects, educational institutions, public buildings, and increasingly residential work. NOR's professional team of 800 architects, engineers, planners, and interior designers work collaboratively across 14 market sectors from offices located in Canada, the United States, the United Kingdom, and the United Arab Emirates. NOR currently has more than 60 job opportunities advertised on its website. Jonathan Hughes has a master's in architecture from the University of Manitoba, an executive leadership certificate from Queen's University, and uh, interestingly enough, a bachelor of music in violin from Case Western Reserve University. He joins us from Toronto. I'd also like to introduce Shane Solomon, the principal architect at Winnipeg-based Republic Architecture, a firm of almost 50 employees. Shane Solomon is recognized for his leadership in project design and development with a range of clients from small and large businesses to federal, provincial, and civic governments. Solomon was educated at the University of Manitoba and the Technical University of Berlin. Currently, Republic has 16 job opportunities advertised on its website. Shane Solomon joins us from Winnipeg. Hello, Shane Solomon. Hi there. I'd like to begin by asking each of you, what drew you to study architecture at the University of Manitoba in the first place? Jonathan, for you first. Oh, my. This uh, <laughs> a little embarrassing. I sort of fell into architecture. I was uh, doing some concerts out in Vermont in my music career, and I'd just recently been accepted to the uh, Manitoba Chamber Orchestra, but I did sort of feel that I wanted to get into another line of education because it was sort of a part-time job at that time. So I applied to what was called environmental studies because I thought it was a biology program. <laughs> uh, when the uh, uh, actual um, acceptance came in the mail, I was still out in Vermont, so it sat on my sideboard. I got home, I was very late in replying, but they uh, graciously agreed to let me still come to the program and said that I needed to bring a camera, an SLR camera, and some magazines for collages. And so I suddenly put one and three together and realized that this wasn't a biology course, <laughs> <laughs> 
but I did do some some background research and and found out that the University of Manitoba was highly recommended and touted as an an architecture school, and I just sort of said, well, this will be an adventure and see what happens. And when I came out to Winnipeg, I very quickly got completely engrossed in the course program, and I was missing rehearsals and not the the most favorite person with the conductor. And so I graciously removed myself from the chamber orchestra and focused full time in architecture. And the, the rest is kind of uh, where it's at. So it was an amazing, uh, amazing education and amazing um, time learning a, a subject that I had very little, little knowledge of, but that I, I grew to love very, very quickly. Shane, what drew you to study architecture at the University of Manitoba? I think I fell into the architectural program a bit as well. I hold a Bachelor of Science in Microbiology. Oh. Um, and I was studying science at the University of Manitoba, thinking that I, I had an interest in professions related to science. But uh, maybe two-thirds of the way through that degree, I found that I was losing interest in the fields in general and was looking to get into something that I thought might be more creative. And so I walked into the environmental design building just to look around and there happened to be a student advisor that day and the person uh, sat down with me and and chit-chatted about the program and then found out that I was currently a student there that was completing a bachelor of science and said you know what uh, I'm enjoying this conversation but you you could feel free to walk next door to the faculty of architecture and talk to them about doing a master's in architecture and I did that that same day and I ended up meeting with the dean and the head of the program at the time just walking in and having a conversation it interested me and I applied and then also got a letter fairly late. I was out of the country, came back, opened a letter and said that I was going to go. I had to go to sketch camp. I didn't know what that meant, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, two weeks later. And so I did. So, Shane, what was your first work in architecture? I got a summer job my first year of master's working at the Winnipeg School Division in their uh, buildings department. They used to have architects in-house, architects and engineers on staff, to manage their portfolio of buildings. And I got a job as a summer student working there. And what about you, Jonathan? What was your first work? Well, I guess my first work was actually um, with a couple of uh, colleagues and friends, and we started up DIN, DIN projects. Uh, I think it's still being run by Neil it is. Duke. Yeah. yeah, Neil Manouk and Jay Sung Chan were the uh, the other amigos that I uh, connected with, and there was a project that Neil was was working on for his um, brother-in-law. There were a couple of houses, I think three houses that we did um, as DIN projects, and uh, it was it was really exciting when we were invited up to the Ottawa Art Gallery and presented as sort of emerging architectural firms, design firms, and. And uh, but I still remember uh, being the guy that was sort of trying to get the baseboards on at the very last minutes of trying to close the projects in. But uh, it was a great learning experience for sure. So when you look back at your training and what you learned at University of Manitoba, in what way did it prepare you for the careers you have now, Jonathan? When I graduated from Manitoba, I sort of saw myself with three options. One was st sticking around Winnipeg and working with Jay Sung and Neil or finding another job within the city or heading west. It was just after the recession, so things were starting to open up uh, back in 98. Or I could come back to Ontario, where I sort of grew up, and I decided I'd go back to Ontario and looked around for, for some projects. I, I was obviously heavily into design at the time, 
it was difficult trying to find a good job with one of the high-end design firms. And eventually I got a job with a company up in Barrie, Ontario. What I was working on was a lot of long-term care. Wasn't quite as much design, certainly wasn't as much of a design focus type of um, job. It was more quite a lot of production, but they, they gave me a great opportunity in this small firm to take projects from absolutely the very beginning, dealing with the client right to the very end. So I was certainly um, in a really lucky position to be able to uh, very quickly fill out my OAA logbooks and, and become an architect. But the certainly the rigor that uh, the University of Manitoba puts you under and the rigor as a, being educated in an, as an architect was uh, fundamental to, to being successful in, in these firms for sure. And Shane, what did you learn at U of M that prepared you for the career that you created and the firm? I think Jonathan nailed it with the rigor. Architectural education at the University of Manitoba is, is intense. There's, you're really committed in terms of your time and you're heavily invested um, in your education there. And so I think that while I wasn't necessarily educated on how to run a practice at the University of Manitoba, I learned a lot about architecture and a significant amount of uh, how, to, how to dedicate your time to kind of the study and practice of architecture. So you mentioned business, Shane, and when a firm gets to a certain size, business becomes a central feature of what the firms are doing. I mean, your firm with almost 50 employees and Jonathan's firm with 700, with that many employees in place, what does it take to make the business side of architecture work? Perhaps you could start on that, Shane. When I left school, I was offered a great position as, as an intern architect at a mid-sized established firm here in Winnipeg. When I started in that position, I was focused on a lot of design work, as I think many graduates are, um, because that's some of the skill that you have. You can use the technology. You just came out of school, and so you bring value to a firm in design up front. But it didn't take long before I was recognized for having greater strengths on the business side of architecture than I was on other parts of the practice. And so it fed on itself a bit, and I think that I was lucky that the firm allowed me to take on some of the management and the business practice of that firm, I continued to do that. And so it, it just came about for me in terms of how to uh, manage a, a practice. Could you have had better business training in the Faculty of Architecture that would have allowed you to excel more quickly? Oh, I think yes. I'm not sure that the program at the University of Manitoba is focused on the practice of architecture. And maybe that's not its responsibility. Maybe it's to teach architects how to think like an architect and how to design. Um, they touch on the business of architecture a bit in terms of uh, courses related to professional practice. It's definitely not a, uh, a business-focused program, and it doesn't pretend to be. So, Jonathan, your work with NOR, how business-focused is it? My role is very business-focused. But, you know, after my stint with Ty Farrow and Jerry Pilon, I... I moved over into a group called Giffels, which was a large corporation that, that bought up NOR and then eventually they merged. And so my role through that company in the last 20 years has given me sort of a, a broad perspective and insight into how the operation works and the various people and the, the culture and that. So I think that was key to me being moved into this sort of position and able to succeed fairly well. I've been the COO now just for over a year, and I'm still learning a lot about the intricacies of, you know, uh, 
foreign exchanges, tax laws, uh, licensures in various jurisdictions. Uh, you know, so there's lots of complexities in in how our company runs that generally remains behind the curtain. You know, it's not something that everybody in the firm understands or needs to understand. I mean, they need to understand how they can deliver their projects and great design and this sort of thing. And and there's a lot of operational aspects that are happening behind the scenes. And we're, we're shifting our, our focus right now. So it's a pretty exciting time to move from one way of, of organizing a company into another way of organizing a company. But I do recall um, going back to my days at the University of Manitoba. It was at a sort of a pinnacle time as well. I think it was very well recognized as a fairly technical university that uh, that was very strong in in materials and meth- methods. And we had uh, Jim Yamashita from the former ICOI who came in and taught us a course on the business of architecture. And it was all about you know managing risk and making money. And he, he used to finish most of his sentences with, and it's as easy as that. And, <laughs> and, and there, is, there is some truth to that, but I do recall some of the colleagues uh, not being too pleased with his uh, course and that it was very sort of corporate and capitalist approach to running a business and making money. And, and yet architecture is normally viewed as a very social business, one that's obviously contributing greatly to the way societies work. We're very focused on diversification, on inclusion, on a collaboration. And so the sense that this person was coming in and just talking about how to be financially successful wasn't received all that well from some of the people in, in my program. But I thought, actually, I thought it was an excellent course. I still like some of these things I carry with me as I move through my career. And that's one of them was his course on managing risk. Like one of the thoughts he had was, you know, he put up this big Gantt chart, Excel spreadsheet of how, you know, how a project works. And he said, you know, at this point, there's a decision that the client has to make. And if the client doesn't make it, well, there's an opportunity for some additional fees. <laughs> and it's that easy. <laughs> there are some good lessons, whether I think Shane is right, whether it's the university's role to be teaching that to the students or not. I think the University of Manitoba and most universities made a decision that it was they were going to focus more on the design creative side, which is essential to our business as well and leave it up to, I think, generally the professions to, to take on the role of deciding, you know, when someone comes in into our firm, it's a question of whether they're going a design route, project delivery route, you know, technical design or operational in, in management and so forth. So it's very interesting. I think, as Shane mentioned, he came into his one company and, and they obviously allowed him to go more of the technical and then operational side. And I was similar when I started at NOR as well. So I don't know if it answered the question, but it's, uh, it's, it was a good one. Shane, what's it take to develop the human resources management skills to get the best results? Oh, that's a great question. It's tough. I think it's something that I deal with every day in my life. I mean, in our office, we don't have a, an HR professional in office. We have all kinds of different professionals who support us. We have our own general counsel. We have our own marketing department. We have three accountants in-house. We have all kinds of specialists in-house, but we don't have anybody related to HR um, to deal with um, HR issues. But I think one of the things that I spend a lot of time doing is just sitting with 
architects, engineers, interior designers, people who have an interest in joining our firm or might have something to bring to our firm and figuring out if they're a fit for our organization um, in terms of how will their, uh, are they a cultural fit? How will their personality work with um, the culture of our office, which I think is a bit distinct in the market. And so in having conversations about the kind of people they like to work with and the things that they value and where they see their career going. And e even asking simply, who do you like to work with and how do you, how do you like to execute on a project? You can get a feel for if someone might be a great fit for our organization. I think the human resource part is, it happens at the front end. It's um, uh, investing a lot of time to figure out if a candidate who, who's going to potentially join our firm is really a good fit for, for what we've got going on here. How does your firm pursue and create new work? Where does it come from? The majority of our work, I would say, is uh, in the public realm. And so earlier you had, dis you had talked about NOR and the Toronto office in particular being focused on public buildings, on heritage work, um, on educational work, justice work. That, uh, we play in similar markets in our office here in Winnipeg. Um, and so um, much of that work is acquired through a response to an RFP, a standing offer, an invitation from a client. It's relationships, but it, it's not personal relationships. It's about looking to see when that RFP is going to come out and, and being prepared for it. It's about um, ensuring that people who are inviting you to a potential project know who you are and believe that you're a good fit for that project. I mean, we get the majority of our work as a response to an RFP with a proposal, um, a response to an invitation. And so the vast majority of the work that we actually acquire and execute on comes into this office that way. What do you do to make sure that clients or potential clients understand what your firm is good at? I think that our marketing team here is very effective in communicating directly to those clients. So if we can get FaceTime with them, we'll do that. But because we're just in Winnipeg and our practice is doing work all across Canada and a little bit outside of Canada, it sometimes is about looking for that RFP opportunity or investing in that relationship, even through uh, not quite a cold call, but just you know seeing if somebody will take a call from you or an email from you and introducing yourself uh, as a practice. Um, so we do spend a lot of time looking at our potential clients and seeing what opportunities are coming about. And then if we believe the opportunity will just will be public, we'll just uh, wait for that opportunity to be placed out there and, and then respond. And if we think uh, we need to spend some time investing in a relationship so that we get invited to that project, we'll do that as well. Jonathan, what about you? I mean, your firm is what some might call a legacy firm, uh, 82 years old. What do you do to make sure that people are aware that Noor is incredibly capable and works in various parts of the world with offices in, in Britain and the Emirates and uh, in the United States and Canada? What do you do on those fronts? That's a great question. I think what Shane was saying is absolutely very similar to what we do as well. I guess because we've got 800 people, we, do, we have individual office or sector marketing groups that are focused on responding to RFPs, putting brochures together, helping the business development leaders as they're going out to meet clients um, or going to conferences and this sort of thing. But we also have a corporate marketing group that spends an awful lot of time working on our, our websites and our um, social media sites and uh, really focus on knowledge 
ensuring that our knowledge capabilities within each of the sectors is promoted and that it's also you know using search engine optimization and these various tools on the internet they can they can pretty much target the certain clients that we're looking for and make sure that our message gets out there and that's only really happened i i have to say in a really focused way in the probably in the last three or four years so it's fairly new but we have certainly found the investment to be worth it not only from a client perspective we get a lot of clients that are phoning us and commending us on on things that we're doing but new clients that are calling as well as from the staff's perspective right now it's so important to be in touch with the staff and the employees and what they're looking for in a firm that's one of the things and i'm sure shane has seen this as well one of the things that's completely transformed from when i was first looking for a a job <laughs> it was very hierarchical right like we were more very um thankful for being offered a position and and learning and and this sort of thing and the situation right now because it's so hard to find staff you mentioned terry that there's 16 uh, job openings at shane's company I mean, the the amount of work out there right now and the the lack of good employees is quite quite uh, an issue and and so the employees are demanding certain things uh, flexible workspaces uh, you know they want to work from home they obviously are commanding a lot more salaries than uh, what we were used to. And, and you know, they want the, the top of the line software, the top of the line hardware. It's an interesting time and it's very, very fluid, I would say, at the, at the moment. But um, that's part of our marketing approach as well is not just focused on attracting clients and projects, but really focused on messaging to our employees and, and attracting good new, new employees as well. What amount of those challenges with your firm or with chains are related to the pandemic? Well, that's a really good uh, comment. I think everybody's been talking about a flexible work environment, uh, not only from, from number of hours and when people work, but also in where they work. And I think the pandemic has just accelerated that. It's, it's been phenomenal how quickly everybody uh, not just our firm, uh, not just Shane's firm, but virtually every firm in every dif different uh, sector has had to globally, you know, has had to shift from working in an office environment or, or some sort of a, a public, semi-public building environment to working from their home. Most sectors and most companies have survived very, very well, which is interesting. What will be interesting, I think, moving forward is how much will we go back to the way we were working and how much will we stay the same or modify where we are? Will it be sort of in a hybrid in between? And that's, that's one of the, the main disruptors right now that, that I think most companies are dealing with. And it'll be very interesting. And I think each company is sort of taking a different approach based on how they see their culture and, and what they see their employees wanting and what they see their clients wanting and trying to respond in a positive and productive way to try to address all those challenges. Shane, what do you see as the options for Republic on those kinds of things that uh, Jonathan just mentioned? The pandemic for us, I don't think was as big a deal as it was in other practices here in Winnipeg. Um, practices in Winnipeg tend to be on the traditional side of how they operate. Um, and so the way they operate now may be the same as the way they operated a generation ago. Not exactly the same, but they probably have a lot in common. I mean, because Republic is a true startup, we 
tend to be a little bit scrappier and a little more agile than other firms of our scale in this market. And so when the pandemic came about, we made a decision to not have people come in the office in the third week of March of, of 2020. And business ran as normal that Monday um, because people always had the opportunity to work from home or from a third point. They picked their own hardware anyway. So everyone had a laptop, everyone could log in remotely. So it was simply that you couldn't come into the office. You were forced to take the kind of flex. But um, I think we managed quite well through that. I think for us, the flexibility will continue to stay. Um, and I do think that team members expect that. I can't see a time when we're going to force people to come back into the office. People will be empowered to make a decision that if they want to come into office because they're collaborating on work, they need a change of scenery, they need to have a conversation with a client and or uh, colleagues, uh, they'll come in office for those days. But I, I suspect that we're going to see a, a hybrid model for sure in the near term and I think even longer term in an office like ours. For architecture students who are listening, what advice do you have for them about finding success with firms such as yours. Jonathan? My simple-minded approach, you work hard and you'll be successful, you know, no matter what you choose. I do find a lot of students that, or recent grads come out and they ask me, what should I do, right? They, they're, they're trying to figure out what direction or, or what, what approach they need to take. And it reminds me, and I keep telling them, just make a decision. And look at the opportunities as you move through that. You'll find your way through the forest, but make your decision. And, I, and it reminds me of a, of a design charrette that I did with Patricia Patkow. And she was always about, people were so struggling with coming up with a design concept. She said, just take something and work it and keep working it and keep working it. Uh, so, so I think make your decision, work hard, and keep your eyes open for opportunities and, 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 and you'll, you'll be successful. You will, you won't, you may not be successful at NOR, but you'll have an experience. You may move to another company. You may have to find sort of, is it a large firm? Is it a medium sized firm? Is it a small firm? But take advantage of all the, uh, the experience that you have and, and, and move, move forward. And Shane, what kind of guidance would you offer? I agree with uh, really everything that Jonathan said there. I think uh, maybe to add to it, I think, you know, sometimes as a, as a graduate, especially graduates now, I find many of them don't have experience in practice, maybe because they didn't have the opportunity over the last two or three years, people weren't necessarily, you're not going to invest in a summer student who can't come into the office, you, you can't train them and you can't have them being mentored. So I think there's a lot of new grads who I suspect have little um, professional practice experience. And I think that's okay. I think it's okay, but you have to come in just giving it your all and being ambitious and, and just try it and work it and um, be adaptable. Sometimes an opportunity will be presented to you. And if it sounds like it's something that might be interesting, go for it and give it your all and see what you can do with it. And I think that uh, recent grads who do that, I think have a lot of fulfillment in their work. I see that in our office and I see that even in the people that I mentor. So I, I would continue to encourage recent grads to just give it your all and go for it. Well, folks, our time is running out. I appreciate your time today. I know you're both exceptionally busy and we're talking here on a Saturday, so I'm grateful for that. <laughs> Jonathan Hughes is the Chief Operating Officer of NOR, which is an 82-year-old employee-owned, fully integrated architecture and engineering firm with 800 employees worldwide. Shane Solomon is the Principal Architect at Winnipeg-based Republic Architecture, 
with a team of 50 employees in Winnipeg. Thanks today to our collaboration team, Jason Chan, Jason Shields, and Brandy O'Reilly. Yes, that's the same Jason Chan of whom Jonathan Hughes spoke so highly. You can listen to us on Apple and Google Podcasts, on SoundCloud and Spotify, and on the radio in southern Manitoba on UMFM 101.5 FM on Wednesday mornings at 11.30 a.m. Please plan to join us for our next episode, number 42, titled Collective, which is inspired by Atmosphere 14, the annual symposium of the Faculty of Architecture at U of M, which will include an exploration of new ways of thinking about how to live together. How has living become realigned through the pandemic? How can we live together with land and each other? How densely can we do that? With whom and with what? How long can we or should we sustain our living in a region or a context and at what cost? How can we rethink housing based on what we are experiencing? We'll be helped with that by three deep thinkers, including Johanna Herme, co-founder and managing partner of Winnipeg's 5468796 Architecture. She has taught design at the Universities of Manitoba, Toronto, and Montreal, and was a visiting professor at the College of Architecture, IIT Chicago. With us as well will be Megan Marin, a graduate of the Harvard Graduate School of Design, and a staffer with the Canadian Centre for Architecture in Montreal. Diana Lind will also join us from Philadelphia. Lind is an urban policy researcher and author of Brave New Home, Our Future in Smarter, Simpler, and Happier Housing. And she's the housing fellow from the global nonprofit New Cities. Fascinating people and fascinating ideas. Don't miss it. I'm Terry McLeod. Thanks for listening to Prairie Design Lab 101.5.